Hey there, beloved. Welcome to Radiant Stories. Each episode of this podcast, we hear from ladies of Calvary Hill Baptist Church and their testimonies of God's goodness and grace. So today on Radiant Stories, uh, we're going to hear from a mother of four, uh, a grandmother to... Fifteen, 15 and one in heaven. Okay, and one in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, she enjoys reading, watching her grandkids play sports. Mm-hmm. She uh, is none other than the Pam Sandlin. Yes. So welcome to the hot seat, Pam Sandlin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so all of our stories have a beginning. Yes, they do. Um, so tell us a little bit about yours, like your parents, your family, where you grew up. I do have family. Okay. I have a mother and a father. Um, My growing up years, uh, it's so ironic because it was just right over here on Rosemont Street, 1512 Rosemont Street, Mesquite, Texas. Who would ever thought the Lord would bring me back here one day to Mesquite, Texas to serve um, and to go to church here for all these years. But um, at six months of age, I moved to Rosemont Street in Mesquite. And it was back, you know, I'm 66, so that's been a long time ago. Uh, when you could play outside and not worry about your kids. You could ride your bikes and just, you know, go around and be back in 30 minutes. Of course, we didn't have watches, so when was 30 minutes? I don't know. But all of those things were my childhood. Just a wonderful, fun, happy childhood uh, on our street um, in Mesquite. My dad worked for the city of Dallas. My mom was a homemaker, uh, the best mom ever. I know you all think that of your mothers, but mine was. Um, and um, so it was very um, normal, um, per se. Um, we went to church. Um, uh, it was Northridge Church back in the day. Now I think it's Galloway Avenue is the name of it. And um, we, we didn't go all the time. We went sometimes. Uh, but I loved going to church, and I wore a charm bracelet, and I aggravated my sister because I would, when we were singing, I would shake that charm bracelet. And she was nine years older than me, so it was very embarrassing to her. And she would look at me, you know, and I would just shake it more. And um, my, so church was always fun for me. I enjoyed going to church in Sunday school back. And all, so, you know, we, we didn't go all the time, but, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And I knew that my parents wanted us to go. Uh, the little Probably. Are you going to ask me or just shall I go on? <laughs> I mean, I was planning okay. on asking okay. questions. Just, okay. Just okay. ask me questions. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Um, okay. So looking back at the significant events in our life, yeah. we can see the way they affect our lives today. So um, you told me about some things that happened mm-hmm. that uh, still mark you today. You want to share about that? I will. And these are the things I will be careful with. Um, I'm not certain the age that this began in my life. Probably five years of age, maybe. It's hard to know. Um, But I was, um, well, how should we say, molested. I was um, sexually abused by a relative, a distant relative. Let's make that clear. No one in my immediate family. And um, it was... um, as a child, and some of you may have experienced this in your life, uh, as a child, you know, you don't know what's happening to you. And you, you just know something is not right. So this went on for a period of years because um, the relative that this uh, the perpetrator in my story uh, was someone that we visited. 
I never told anyone because I didn't know what to say, number one. And back in the day when I was growing up, my par you know, your parents didn't say the things that we have to say now to our kids, right? If anyone ever touches you inappropriately, you tell me. That was never said to me in 19, whatever, 60, and, and then those few, few years after. So I didn't know what to say. Um, my parents were the best parents. They were so protective, overly, you know. So um, I never said anything. Um, and I never knew what to do when this was happening to me. So it marked me severely. Um, it affects your whole life, you know. It affects you. It affects me to this day. I'm 66 years old, and I, and I don't dredge up this to make anyone who has experienced this feel in any sort of way, but it is my story, and I have to, um, I have to tell my story. Um, so, um, anyway, that, that marked me in a way. I never told my mother um, when I realized what happened to me. I was a, I was a, uh, a mid-adult, before I, I even realized. It was like you blocked it out, you know what I'm saying? It's for protection, it's what you do. You block it out, and so I'm like, then I started thinking, that happened to me. That happened to me. We need to pray for our sister too, and she's in the hallway. Um, but that did happen to me, and um, so I had to admit it, and then when I realized it, I did not want to tell my mother. And I, I said to myself, I'm never going to tell uh, my mom because she would feel so guilty, upset, because she took me to where this happened, you know? So I, could, I knew I couldn't tell her. And I knew it would, just, it would destroy her. I knew that. I knew it would destroy her because my mother was the most loving, wonderful mother. And so I thought, Lord, I'm just never going to speak of this until she's not here anymore to feel that way. In fact, if my sister's listening to this, dum 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 dum, I should have told her about this, but I'll call her before this airs. <laughs> um, but um, so after she passed, and the Lord freed me to share my story because it needs to be shared to help those who have been through this. So, um, and then there was, uh, because of that, um, just would you like for me to go and say that all the ways it has affected me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, there was another neighbor boy, uh, also uh, not to the extent that this relative, but also um, sort of the same thing. So what ha happened in my childhood, it, and it has really uh, uh, pervaded, is that the word? Through um, my, my adulthood and uh, my life, is that I never said no, because I didn't know to say no. You know, we tell our kids now. You, if anybody touches you, you tell them. No, you run away. You come to me. You tell them. And I would say this to you as young mothers and even as grandparents. You can never be too careful. Uh, you can never be too careful because you think you're okay. Your kids are in another room and everything's okay. You can never be too careful. Be sure the door's open. Be sure that you're checking on your kids with family members because this was a family member, a distant family member, but yet it was a family member. So I would say that to you. And um, so what happened in my life is that I, I just never said no. I just said, okay. So I thought of myself as a person. I be, I, I'm a people pleaser. I don't say no 
I mean, these are strongholds in my life. I'm confessing things that are difficult for me. You know, oh, sure, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Oh, sure, sure, I'll do that. But would you want to do this? Well, sure, I want to do that. Because I don't know, honestly, and I did not know how to say no. The Lord has changed that in me. So now I'm a grouchy no person. Sorry about that. Uh, but not without uh, recent counseling. Uh, for the first time this past year, I went to counseling. Um, I should have gone a long time ago, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to talk about it. I wasn't, you know, you have to be ready. You can't let someone tell you, well, you need to go to counseling and, and force you into that. You have to go in your time. And so I did. And it really freed me from this people-pleasing no thing. I'm, still, my personality is I want I want to please people. I like to be with people. I want to make you happy. That's my go. That's my personality. But I think a lot of my childhood um, shaped that in me, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So, um, so yes, that, as I look back, I had a wonderful childhood with, other than that, um, had a wonderful family, grew up in Mesquite, um, but that part of my life, that story, um, really shaped me for good and for bad. Um, the interesting thing is, as I've gone to counseling now, as I've realized, I never was angry with God. I'm not, I wasn't angry with him. I honestly, because I guess I've just, and, and his timing is so perfect, right? I guess because I've learned about the sovereignty of God and how Job, you know, though he slay me, yet will I kill him, everything, um, has to pass through the hands of my Jesus before it comes to me. And so I, I ask myself these questions. Now, Lord, like, you know, we just ask him these things. Lord, you were there when this was happening to me. You chose me before the foundation of the world. I believe that. You formed me in my mother's womb. You were there. You could have prevented this. You didn't. But you could have. So I must... In believing the heart of God, know that this was a part of his plan for my life. Does it make it right? Of course not. Of course not. And you, every, every person, it, it's a terrible thing to happen to a person. But either you get bitter about it and angry at God and you can't get through it or you go to counseling, you talk to him about it, you talk it out and you say, this happened to me, but yet the Lord has used it in my life to make me who I am. So he is greater than our sin, whatever your sin might be, that past that you just can't forgive yourself for. He's greater than that sin. And he's greater than the sin of the perpetrator upon an innocent child. He's greater than that person's sin. And if in not forgiving or in not letting it go, you become hostage to that. Um, when I really came to grips with it and what had happened to me, um, and, I, and I wasn't angry with God, I just said, okay, Lord. I mean, I, I kind of felt, I felt sorry for that little girl. You know, you know, that little girl was me. I felt sorry for her. If I could say to her, oh, you should have told somebody. But I didn't know what to say. And, uh, oh, you should have gone to your mama. Oh, I couldn't tell her. That would kill her. So, you know, all those questions that you have. And so uh, there was a time, I wasn't angry at God, but I was angry at the perpetrator. It was my, he was older than me, much older than me. Um, and it, it, but I had to come to grips with that too. Because you can't live your life with unforgiveness. Family member, mom, dad, sister, what, I mean, we could hate everybody forever because of what they've done to us. 
We can't do that because that makes us the prisoner. That would make me the prisoner. So uh, just one more thing about this, then we'll move on. Um, This person passed years ago when I was asked to sing at his funeral. Uh, Of course, no one knew anything, you see. No one knew anything except me and him. And I was a young woman. I thought, oh, my, I don't know that I can do this. I don't, I don't know that I can do this. I, I, Lord, I, Lord, I don't know that I can do this. Not in an audible voice. I've never heard God speak audibly to me, but I knew in my spirit, yes, you can, because I will do it through you. Because if you allow this to happen and you don't allow me to use you to lost people that you can preach my grace and my truth to through music, then he wins. Those were the, you know, the thoughts in my head. So I said, okay. So I'll never forget it. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I, I walked up to that casket and I looked at his dead body in the casket and I said, oh, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And that set me free. That set me free. Because y'all, we don't deserve forgiveness. Jesus died for an unruly mess of a people that we are. And there but for the grace of God could we do anything that anybody else on the planet could do. Except for the grace of God. So I sang his funeral and, um, and uh, I forgave him. Uh, I, do I still struggle? Does it still affect me to this day? Yeah, it does. It does, uh, but God is greater than my struggle, yeah. and he is greater than um, the pain that I went through as a child, and the Lord has used that in my life to make me who I am. It is part of my story, and so he uses it for his glory. Around fifth grade, you moved to Kaufman. I did. Okay, so tell us about how that went. Like how, okay. What was it like moving? Fifth grade. Okay, well, you know, um, fifth grade, that's a hard grade. So I was, I was a fifth grade girl. We moved the last day of kindergarten. Kindergarten, help me, Lord. Fifth grade from Tysinger Elementary. I went home. Yes, Tysinger Elementary. <laughs> I went home, and we moved. Uh, my mom and dad's family is from that area. Uh, they grew up there, that, you know, so that was always home. So we moved. So I spent the summer of my fifth after fifth grade, with no friend to my name, not one. I knew no one in that town. I'm, I mean, I had relatives, but you know, they weren't friends for heaven's sakes. Relatives can't be friends. Um, so that's a joke. Um, so I did not have any friends. So I just played by myself. I was an outdoors kind of girl. I rode my bike. I played. I made up games and you know, all that. So uh, in sixth grade, uh, I went to Kaufman Elementary. And um, I was still kind of the unnoticed one, you know. Um, sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, they were never that one. I was always that one. I was always that one. Um, I was, I think what happened to me as a younger child uh, really kind of uh, hindered me. Um, so I was very shy. I know that's unbelievable, but it's true. I was shy. I didn't, you know, I waited for people to come up and be my friend. And then nobody would come be my friend. I'd go home and cry, nobody's my friend. And mom would say, well, did you make a friend? No, but nobody's my friend. So, um, but what happened was in sixth grade, I couldn't do a lot good. I, I, I could sing. I remember kindergarten, well, first grade, actually. We didn't have kindergarten back in 
the day. Little Red Schoolhouse, my, my little first grade teacher said to me, always keep singing. And that stuck in my head. I thought, okay, that's something I can do. I think I can sing. So I can sing. Well, I knew I could run fast. I, had, I was skinny back in the day. Back in the day. I had long legs. I could run so fast. So we at recess would play freeze tag. Okay? A hundred years ago. And so, oh, I never got caught because I was fast. And so all of a sudden people were like, Oh, okay. Then we would have teams for freeze tag and all kinds of things. So I got chosen. I got chosen because I could run fast. So that honestly opened a door of friendship for, for these little sixth grade girls. They were like, they are my team. I'm like, sure. <laughs> so then what happened was they invited me to church. We had not gotten involved in church that summer. And so First Baptist Church Kaufman, my friend Debbie Rice, her name is Debbie Miller now, invited me. And she was the popular girl. I mean, even in sixth grade, you know, even in sixth grade, you got the popular ones, which I was not. And uh, so I'm like, okay. So I began to go to church with her, and I loved it. So my parents came, uh, started going to church. We loved it. And it was there in that church, after we had been there for many years, um, this group of kids um, all went to school together. And still, I was not the popular one, but my best friend was the popular one. So that was really cool because she was like the, you know, of the pep squad and all that jazz, cheerleading. I can, I play the bass drum in the high school marching band. She was the, you know, the girl with the hat and all that. Nothing against that, but we were inseparable. We were best friends. So uh, I believe I was 12 in our church when we began looking for a youth minister. My my. My parents were very involved then. We were all involved. And uh, this, um, I think I was 12. I'm not sure. Nancy might know better than me. So David Cohn, a skinny boy from Arkansas, came, was not even married to Nancy at that point, and was interviewed for our youth minister. I didn't like him at first, to be honest, because all he talked about was Jesus. And see, I just like church. I didn't really like Jesus yet, but I just liked church. And so, I mean, that's the truth. So it, he would talk about Jesus while I'd sit there, and I would get so bored out of my mind. And I, so I, we would have pencils. All of us, we were terrible. So we had this group of girls, and we would just periodically, and it was a tile floor, we'd drop our pencils, and then we'd go look at him and pick him up. Somebody else would drop their pencil. I mean, it was terrible. We were terrible. But God is good. Amen. And he married Nancy, and then they came back uh, and put up with us. In all of that, he was never angry, hateful. He just believed God's word is sufficient, and I'm going to te keep teaching these kids, and they're going to get it. And we got it. Amen. And um, it was in that time before he met Nancy, he, because he worked, uh, he went to seminary. And so he would come on Friday to church, and then he didn't have to go back to seminary until Monday. Well, he was staying before they married in different homes. And uh, all of a sudden, he didn't have anywhere else to stay. I guess he used up all his homes. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but he came to my dad, and he said, Mr. Wimpy, could, could I stay at your house this weekend? Because I don't really have anywhere to stay. And so my dad said, sure. Three years later... He left. So David and Nancy got married, came to our church, lived with me and my family from Friday to Monday for I don't know how many years, three years, two and a half years. And that for sure is a pinnacle 
point in my life that God placed them in my home and I saw with my eyes, not just heard with my ears, not just say what you'd believe, but I saw Jesus living color in my home from Friday to Monday. And I'm like, I want that. I want that. And so I just listened and they were patient with this crazy girl who just went crazy over Jesus. I I fell in love with Jesus. I didn't care whatever he told me to do. I would do it. I was never going to date anybody that was not a believer. And all of these things that I, I made up my mind. And it's because of that pivotal moment when the Lord's, when he said to my dad, hey, could I stay at your house for a weekend? And the Lord always, he works on so many levels, thousands of levels. And it was in that that the Lord put them in my home. And I saw Jesus in the flesh and it changed me. And I was saved at the age of 13 um, through their ministry, through their lives. Right. So then you, uh, as you said, turned into a Jesus freak? I did. I was a Jesus freak. I was. I still I want to be again so bad. We are, right, Lisa? Where's Lisa? We were Jesus freaks. Yes, we were. (laughs) Okay, so then... uh, Somewhere around high school, you got a call in your life is when you... Yes, because, you know, you... Well, you got to be a missionary. I mean, you know, that's all you can be. If you love Jesus, you got to go be a missionary. I mean, that's what I thought. You know, oh, well, okay, I'll be a missionary. Because I wanted to do whatever the Lord told me to do. I thought, I'll never get married. I'll just be a missionary, and I'll serve Jesus in some far-off country and some far-off land. Um, And so I really felt that, you know. Um, I kind of had some crushes periodically, so I thought, well, that, that, he's a preacher. I kind of like that. I might, anyway, the, the one guy I had a crush on, I'll just tell you this, this will change your life. This will bless you. <laughs> I had a crush on him forever, right? His, he shall remain nameless if he's listening. Um, I loved him. I wrote him letters. I thought, oh, this is the one. Oh, here I am, probably ninth grade. I don't even know. Oh, this is the one. Oh. He called me and asked me for my best friend's phone number. <laughs> I hung that phone up, that rotary phone, I hung it up. I ran to my room. I cried my eyes out. I'm like, Lord, I never want to get married. I just want to love you because this is what men do to you. So it was pivotal. So, yes, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a missionary. That's what I thought. Because then you started, um, you were in a music group, right? I was. In college. Yes. And your music group intertwined with another music group. Yes, right? we did. We were the Agape Singers. That was our name. We had skirts a lot. We had little hearts on our skirts and little crosses. Oh, it was obnoxious. I look at the pictures now, I'm like, oh my word. Um, so yes, we sang a lot. We sang all over the Kaufman area. And there was another group that sang. They were all men, boys, shall we say. And they were the Philos. Okay. So we were the Agape and they were the Philos. Well, and they would go every... They'd be singing somewhere, we'd be singing at the same place. It was like, that's weird. So throughout these early years, until after college, I was uh, the summer after my co- first year of college, I was a summer, uh, a summer youth minister at a church in uh, Crandall, Combine actually. And so uh, we went to these Youth for Christ meetings. So I'm at this Youth for Christ meetings, and here the philos are singing. And uh, of course in the philos is the boy man, Rick Sandlin. Uh, okay, I did not like him. Because he was, uh, what shall we say, a woman, he, he, he had a bunch of girlfriends. I'm going to tell you all this. Oh, this is recorded. I can't say it. Uh, come to me after. Uh, he had a lot of girlfriends. Let's just say that. Um, so I never, you know, I didn't, I just, 
wrote him off because I'm like, oh, no, he's, too, he's not spiritual enough for me. So uh, I gave my testimony that night in this certain church, in Emmanuel Baptist Church, Terrell, Texas. And um, Rick leaned over to one of his bandmates and said, uh, that's the girl I'm going to marry. So um, that, after that, we were going down the, the hallway to the fellowship hall. He said, do you want to go eat refreshments? He hadn't talked to me in all of these years. But all of a sudden, I guess maybe I blossomed a bit since I was out of college. I wasn't that little girl anymore. And all of a sudden, he had stuff to say to me. So I said, well, yeah, I'll go. And we're walking down this aisle that looks like a church aisle. So me, being who I am, because after the Lord saved me, all my shyness went away. He transformed me. I witnessed to anything that moved and things that didn't move. I would talk to them about Jesus. I, we, we would go around the square of Kaufman screaming out the window, scaring people to death. Jesus loves you. So everybody knew who the Jesus freaks were. And that was me and my, all my friends and all the crazy youth group at First Baptist Kaufman. And so we walked down this aisle and I grabbed him by the arm and I just began to hum the wedding march. Dum, dum, da, dum. He said, stop. I said, I'm just playing. Well, six months later, we were married. I do not, I do not recommend that. Six months, I mean, only if God is in it. Only if you know God's in it. I do not recommend being 19 when you marry either. Only if God's in it. But that did happen. And so I remember he said to me, I said to him, well, I want to be a missionary. And he said, oh, well, God's not called me to be a missionary. And I thought, okay, well, I better pray about this. Okay, well, what has God called you to do? And he said, well, I'm going to just serve the church. I said, okay, I can, I can do that. So I knew God had a call on my life. Like Nancy said, her call was being a pastor's wife. I just knew it was something. I didn't know what it was. So I just, you know, naively thought it was being a missionary, which we are missionaries, right? Yes. yes. And so now uh, you're using your story and the things that have happened to you to minister to lots of people. Right? Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing um, how the, the Lord, you know, the things you go through, you know, Pam, we've talked about this. Um, the things you, maybe, maybe the sins you commit yourself, um, and you think, oh, how could God love me? How could God ever use that? Oh, he turns ashes into beauty. Divorce. I mean, we've got divorced women. We've got women who've been abused. We've got women who've had abortions. We've had, I mean, we've, we've got it all in this room. Because you know what? Without Jesus, we are all a mess. And we're a mess with him, but we are a redeemed mess Amen. that he loves. And he uses for his glory. And so, um, yeah, the Lord freed me to share my story. And then it, I've shared it so many times now that um, it's like it's not me, kind of, sort of. You know, it's, it's your past. You, know, you look at that and you're like, that was me. And God uses it. So, yeah, I have. And the Lord led us here 30 years ago, 31 years ago. I don't even know how long ago. Um, to this church. And he's by his grace, has graciously let us be here for these years and um, just love on people. And, you know, that's what we're called to do. We're just called to love people. Um, we share the gospel most when we love people. That's the greatest thing we can do. And then we speak the truth in love, of course, uh, to people. But And there's nobody that's beyond his reach. I, I, uh, just to what Shelby alluded to, my, my sister and her family, and she's listening, are a prime example of this. Um, I, I mean, last Sunday night, I went to their church. My sister, she's nine years older. Um, we lived very different lifestyles. But the Lord has saved them, all of them. My niece sings in a praise band. Her stepson plays the guitar in a praise band. My sister is on the front row every 
Sunday morning, and I watch their live stream, you know, after I get home and stuff, and that's her hand. I go, oh, that's her hand. That's her hand right there. That is her hand. And if you were to say, I mean, I'm just saying that's a miracle for my sister's family, and my two nieces were there, and I, I, was, I was so overcome with emotion, I couldn't even sing. I was a d- disaster because I, all I could think was, look what God has done. You can't give up on people. You can't say, oh, they'll, it'll never, they'll never change. You can't do that because that sets us, uh, us up as the person that decides. You keep telling people the truth in love. You keep loving people even when they don't love you back. You keep doing the right thing. You keep speaking truth, and the Lord in his time does his work. Not on our time, not according to my timetable. But so I rejoice in that. It's a miracle what the Lord has done. So nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. Nobody, nobody. I mean, even David was saying at the mission uh, last month, you know, this, this, the new chaplain at the mission 10 years ago was sitting listening to David preach, hooked on heroin, uh, was saved that night. He came up to David last month at the mission and said, I'm the new chaplain. I was sitting here 10 years ago. I was saved. I got clean. The Lord has changed my life. I'm the chaplain now of the Union Gospel Mission. But you look at people like that, you think, oh, they'll never change. He's just a drug addict. What can God do with him? Well, Paul was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. And we are all rebels against God until he saves us. Well, thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. I'm going to pray. Would do. All right. Pray for me. Lord God, I thank you for this time. I thank you so much for all these stories that we've heard today. Mm-hmm. And I thank you uh, for Pam and her story. And I thank you for the, the way that you've um, just woven her story together. And I thank you for the, the work you've done through her ministry and, and her life. And I thank you that um, she continues to share about your love and, mm. um, and share the gospel, Lord. And I just thank you so much, Lord, for the, the work you've done. I pray, Father, that you continue to um, just move in all of our hearts Mm -hmm. help us to um, see your work in our lives. And uh, I pray that we would be careful to share about the work you've done in our lives to others and encourage them. Uh, I thank you so much. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.